For those who don't know me, my name is Sims. I'm one of the pastors here at Broadway. So grateful to be here this morning. Um, I have missed you. I have not seen you for a month and a half, mostly. So good to see you. Good to be back home, away from home. And um, God is good all the time. We're going to get into the word quickly, but before we do that, Spencer is going to read scripture for us. Um, and then we're going to get into the word, and I will try and be as quick as possible so we can get out of here in time. All right, Philippians 4, 1 through 7. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I employ Eudia, and I am implore Sintisha to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Today, I'm going to speak to us quickly under the title of The Secret to Peace and Joy in All Circumstances. Um, we are hearing Paul here. Over and over again, Paul has spoken about joy in this book. And if you've not heard Paul speaking about joy in this book, that means you've not been in this church for, for months now because we've been going through this book and each, almost each and every chapter, Paul speaks about joy. This is um, called the book of joy, actually, the epistle about joy. And so it's amazing to see Paul still going on in this very same way. And I'm going to start in the beginning. He says in verse 1, Therefore, my beloved, long for brethren, my joy and my crown, steadfast, stand steadfast in the Lord. And, and, and it encourages me to realize that Paul does not, uh, does not neglect the issue of joy, which is his what he's talking about. But in this state, he, there's a few things here that I want you to realize. In this small portion that we read today, Paul speaks about everything, and everything he speaks about, he adds that it needs to be in the Lord. Paul says, have joy in the Lord, stand in the Lord, all these things in the Lord, find, finding peace in the Lord. All the things that Paul is speaking about here are in the Lord. And we see, one thing that we realize is that Paul links it he starts with the first verse with therefore, linking it from last week, what you guys talked about last week, linking it from the idea of realizing that Christ is near. Therefore, we have every reason because of the promise of resurrection, because of Christ being near. Therefore, we have every reason to stand fast in the Lord. So he calls the church and he calls them to stand fast in the Lord. And we can only stand fast and stand in the Lord because all the other places are insecure to stand on. The only secure place, the only secure ground we have to stand on is in the Lord. There are lots of other opinions and places and voices in these days that are seeking us to stand on. 
Some people are standing on, on their education. Some people are standing on their career. Some people are standing on the foundation of their, uh, their wealth. Some people are standing on the foundation of their health. Some people are standing so many things. Some people are standing on the foundation of their political views. There's a lot of things that are calling us to stand on. But Paul tells us, stand fast in the Lord. We are called to stand fast in the Lord. Our, vo- our ears should be listening to the voice of the one who purchased us. We can hear other people's voices, great. You can hear Sim's voice, great. But the biggest thing is to stand on the voice of the one who purchased you. Who is it that died for you? Amen. So that's the voice we stand on. That's who we stand on. Psalm 62, uh, 26 says, He is my rock, my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be shaken. When we stand in Christ, we will not be shaken by crisis. When we stand in Christ, we are at a sure foundation. We know for sure where we are. And we are secure enough not to fall or to be shaken. Song that I love that came to mind as I was preparing for this this week is on Christ the solid rock I stand. It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. And then the, the, the chorus goes on. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Every else where we can stand is sinking sand. Our wealth, our health, our education, all these other things are just sinking sand. Build your house, build your life upon the rock, which is Jesus. Stand firm on this rock and you will not be shaken. You will not be moved. Things might come. Things might be rough. But if you are built and you are standing on Jesus, you are at a sure foundation. There is nothing that can shake you. Earth can pass away. And everything else can pass away. But he is steadfast. And he calls us to build our lives on him. Second thing I wanted to speak about a little bit is the common ground. Sorry, I know I'm rushing. I'm trying to get through this as quickly as possible. Um, The common ground. The common ground is Christ the rock. The common ground that we are called to stand on as, as the church is Christ the rock. He says here, I implore that Iudia and, uh, and Sintike to be of the same mind in the Lord. Iudia and Sintike be of the same mind in the Lord. The standing firm in the Lord text talks about standing and being in the same mind in the Lord. That's the common ground where we meet. Paul does not come here and take sides. There is no sides in God's kingdom. We are of the same mind in the Lord. We might be different in many other ways, but when it comes to the foundation and the common ground, we all should come back to the common ground of that we are the same mind in the Lord. They don't tell us what the dispute was between these two, these two sisters. And I'm glad that they don't. Because it's not important. What is important is that they are called to come to the same ground. Brothers and sisters, we will have disputes. When we have those disputes, we need to come back to the same ground. There is no other greater ground, common ground for us as a church than the ground of Jesus Christ. 
Another example of calling people to the common ground, 1 Corinthians 10, sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17, Paul writes, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions amongst you, but you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. My brothers and sisters, some of Claudius' household have informed me that there are quarrels amongst you. That I mean this. One says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another says, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for uh, Chris, Crispus and Gaius, so that you might not say you were baptized in my name. Yes, also I baptized the house of Stephanus, and beyond that I don't remember if I baptized anyone. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to teach, to preach the gospel, and not with wisdom eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I urge you, therefore, true com- And then this, this is when he goes on, he says, in the part that we are reading, he says, I urge you, therefore, true companion, help these women who have labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of the fellow workers those whose names are in the book of life. I put these two together because I want you to see that there was, in Corinth, there was an issue there of division. And Paul calls them all together and calls them, our common ground is in Jesus. And then he goes on here in Philippians. He says, he's asking this brother whom he, he's writing the letter to who's going to read this book, this fellow companion. He says, true companion, help these women come to a common ground. And he says that these women have labored with him in the gospel. Another version says they have contended with me in the gospel. So this tells us that Yudia and Syntyche were faithful workers in the ministry. They were not just other people, they were faithful workers. And if you piece it together, you read verse 3 very well, it tells you that these ladies were Christian ladies, they were believers. They were committed to the gospel. They contended for the gospel. They were committed to the gospel. And they were committed as well to the company of others who are actually equally committed to the gospel. But that did not stop them from fighting or from finding themselves in disagreement. In our walk as believers, we are to be people that realize that, number one, there is no perfect church. We are not a perfect people. My senior pastor back home used to say, no perfect people are allowed here at the church back home. And he would say, if you're perfect, go somewhere else. But unfortunately, as soon as you get there, the church, that church will be unperfect anymore because you've just walked in. So there is all this. We are not in denial saying that we are always united. There are times where we've got disagreements. But these disagreements are things that we need to sort out. And Paul here tells these two sisters to sort out the dispute between them. Some of you might think, okay, so is that the only dispute that we see in Scripture? No, not really. Paul himself was in a dispute with Barnabas. We know from Acts chapter 15 that he, he and Barnabas decided to go different ways because of John Mark. John Mark had deserted them, and when they were going for the second trip, uh, Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us, and Paul says, no, he deserted us, we can't take him with. And, and the Bible says there was a great disagreement between them, to a point that the other one went the other way, and the other one went the other way with John Mark. 
So he had experienced this war. So as Christians, we will experience times where there is disagreement. But in our time of disagreement, we need to know and understand that we are called to come back to the common ground. Let me read this for you. This is Paul writing later, years later, Colossians 4.10, he's in prison. He says, Akshas, my fellow work, uh, prisoner, wishes um, to be remembered by you, as does Mark, the relative of Barnabas. You have received instruction concerning him. If he comes to you, give him a heartily welcome. He's talking about that same Mark that he said he didn't want to take with. So this tells us that the, this issue was sorted. And God calls us to sort issues and not sit on them. When we've got it, we will have discouragements, we would have disagreements, we would have times where we don't agree, but we need to know that we've got a common ground to come back to. As believers, our common ground is in Jesus and his word. That's where we come back to. And also we see again in 2 Timothy 4.11, this is Paul, years later again, he's in prison. He says, only look is with me, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in ministry. He's saying this guy that, he, that they had fought over and he had said, I don't want to take him. He's useful to him in ministry. That tells you that him and Barnabas had sorted that out. So Paul is not speaking out of, it, out of not experiencing that. He's not speaking out of a lofty idea that he doesn't know what he's talking about. He knows what happens, that as believers, we will have times where we disagree about something. But the joy in that is that we can come back to the common ground of God's word and of Jesus. These things need to be cleaned up. Sometimes it's hard because when we take the Bible seriously and we want to do what the Bible says and all that, and all, we, we, we get ourselves to a, p- a point where we are facing a danger that we don't really realize because we are busy guarding this and guarding that and guarding that, and we forget that sometimes the division that the enemy might bring might start from within. These women were believers. These women were uh, Paul and Barnabas, believers, leaders in ministry. And they had a disagreement. And the enemy can use that. And while we are guarding all these other things outside, we forget that there might be issues that need to be dealt with inside. There is a danger that we pride in ourselves in guarding against all these outside things, yet there is a storm brewing on the inside. And that storm might be brewing because we have not sorted things out. Broadway, we are called to sort things out. We are called to, if you've, got a, if you've got an issue with your brother, we are called to talk about it and fix it because we've got a common ground and our common ground is Jesus. It's so easy to stand against the things outside and forget that sometimes things can come from the inside. And again, I want you to realize this. If we are not in a place where we have sorted things out, there is no way we can stand fast, as Paul says. There is no way to stand fast for us in Jesus on this rock if we have not fixed things up. Look at verse 1. 
It says, if you read it, think about this. We can, it calls us to stand fast, but the matter of the fact is that we cannot stand fast in verse 1 that is mentioned while tolerating disharmony that is mentioned in verse 2. Harmony and standing fast are for us, they work together to create this, this place where we are standing as a church. There's a, um, a forest in California of these big trees, the redwood trees. I've used this example before. And they say that their roots don't go too far deep. They are one of the tallest trees, but their roots are very on the surface. And the reason why they are standing is because the roots are holding on to each other. And so when the wind comes, the other root is pulling the brother root. Come over, we, we, we are still standing. We are together. For us to grow and be what God has called us to be, our ground and on the ground surface, we need to hold on to each other. Because our grounding is in Jesus. Our grounding is not in that we are conservative or we are not, or we are liberal. Our grounding is not in whether we've got money or not. Our grounding is not whether we've got education or not. Our grounding is in Jesus, and so we hold on to each other. If you go back a little bit to chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul tells them that if you have any encouragement to holding each other, from, the, from where? What does this encouragement come from? He says, if you've got any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort, where does that comfort come from? From his love and fellowship. On basis of what? On basis of the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. That's what we are called to do. This kind of division we see here with these two sisters is a division that is contrary to the nature of the church. When we are in division, we forget. We forget that we are not our own. We forget what 1 Corinthians six nineteen tells us. It tells us you are not our, your own. Therefore, glorify, sorry, you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. When I forget that I'm, on my, I'm not my own, that I exclusively belong to Jesus, when I forget that, then I don't care about what's happening with my brother. I don't care about what's happening with my sister. I champion my agenda because I real, I, I've forgotten that I'm not my own. We have no any other cause. The last time I spoke here, we spoke about that the cause that we have is the cause of Jesus. It's not the cause for anything else. All these other things are in the peripheral and they're not important. What is important is the cause of the gospel. And as a church and as the body of Christ, we are called, therefore, to be people who realize that we don't belong to ourselves. So the cause and the fight that we fight is not our personal agendas. It is the cause of Christ. The moment we start fighting our own agendas, we'll bite and finish each other. Our cause, our personal cause might be well-meaning and justifiable, but when we remember that we're in the Lord, we realize that it's inconsistent for us to be fighting with each other. When we realize that we belong to a Savior who died to save us, it's inconsistent for us. Therefore, 
to do things as individuals as if we don't, we belong to ourselves only. We belong to Jesus. Our ground, our common ground is in Jesus. Therefore, Romans 15, 1 through 6 says, when those, so we then who are strong ought to bear the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor, his neighbor for his good, leading to edific edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but it, as it is written, the reproach of those who, re who reproach fell on me, for whatever things were written before, um, sorry, before were written for our learning through the patience and the comfort of scriptures might come hope. And then he goes on in verse 6 and says that you may be one mind and one mouth and glorify God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are told here that when we remember that we are not our own, we live not to please ourselves. We live not to put our agenda in the front. We live to please Jesus and to please others. The first and more important issue in our lives as believers is that we please God. But in pleasing God, if you realize that you're not your own and you belong to God, then you please God. But if you please God, then you would prefer your brother or your sister because that's what he calls us to do. And the problem is that we don't realize that when we have disharmony within us, it causes defeat without. Because then the enemy comes in through that disharmony within and I want to encourage us, Broadway, that if there is something that you know that you need to fix, get it fixed. These sisters, these two sisters, they contended for the cause, for the cause of the gospel with Paul. But meanwhile, it looks like they forgot to contend for the gospel and started contending with one another. As a result, they presented a very much lacking or a weakness that the enemy would use. And I want to encourage you and me today that if there are things that need to be sorted, let's come to the common ground and sort them. Another thing that I wanted to share briefly is rejoicing in the Lord. I'm sorry, I know I'm rushing. I know I'm pushing harder. Please bear with me. But rejoicing in the Lord. We say this book is a book about rejoicing. But he doesn't just say rejoice in the Lord. He says rejoice in the Lord always and again, I say, rejoice. D despite the circumstances that we are facing, he calls us to a place of rejoicing. And the rejoicing is in the Lord again. I want you to see that part, in the Lord. Rejoice again in the Lord. There is more than 16 examples or times in this book only, in Philippians, these sh short chapters, that Paul speaks, these four short chapters, that Paul speaks about rejoicing. Sixteen times he speaks about rejoicing. Sometimes we don't realize this. The cue for our disagreements, that's why he comes to that after that. Sometimes the cue of our disagreement is rejoicing in the Lord always. People who are rejoicing in the Lord are happy people. They don't give and take offense. People who are not rejoicing in the Lord are grumpy people. They give and take offense. That's what we are. We are easily distracted by our troubles when you're not rejoicing in the Lord. 
And so we don't see each other the way that God wants us to see each other. And Paul here encourages them, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Joy, the joy of the Lord is a cure for all discord in the church. A church that is full of the joy of the Lord, there is no, there is no arguments. Yes, they might have different views on things, but they sit down and under the joy of the Lord in the foundation, in the solid ground, in the common ground, and they fix it because they are full of the joy of the Lord. And they prefer one another. It's not one person's agenda. It is the body of Christ, the agenda of the, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our joy in this place should not be a joy that is based on you know, the sun is shining today. It's a great day, so I've got joy. But our joy is founded on knowing that God is in control. When we know and believe that God is in control, church, our joy in the Lord is founded on that and cannot be shaken. It's not the great things that happen. Yeah, great, those great things are awesome. There's a kid's song that we sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We sing that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then after that, the next verse, it says, He's got the whole world in his hands. I know it sounds like a kid's thing, but I want you to realize this. There is a reason why those verses are together. When we know, when our foundation is that he's got the whole world in his hands, we can have joy. Because we can trust him. We don't have joy because we think we are in control of situations. Sometimes we think of joy in a very incorrect way. And I want to try and correct that today. We think of joy as a victim of our emotions and circumstances around us. Oh, things are really bad. I don't have any joy. Oh, something else is slashing inside and shooping inside. Um, yeah, it depends on how I feel. How can you ask me to rejoice always? But no. I want us to think about it differently and realize that the Bible is serious when it says rejoice always. Sometimes we think, oh, well, I can't turn it in, off, and on because there's some things that are going on. So my, my joy, yeah, I, I don't have joy today um, because this is happening, because that is happening. Um, we think that joy is affected by our external issues. Our joy in the Lord is not affected by external issues. The key to understanding that is realizing that there is thinking, there is willing, and there is feeling. Those three things are very important to, for us to realize, to realize. In God's divine order, the purpose, God's purpose was that our thinking is supposed to be informed and shaped and governed by his revelation. Am I right? Does everybody agree with that? That whatever he's revealed is whatever he has revealed to us is what he he wants our thinking to be governed by, to be informed by, and to be shaped by. And when we think on the basis of God's revelation of what he has told us of himself, then our thinking starts to inform our will. 
When our will is informed of that, then our will pushes us into action. So, in, in, in one way or the other, I would say that as I learn to think correctly, I bring my doing also in that way in line with my right thinking. When I start to think correctly, when I start to realize and know that God is in control, and I think that and I know that and I realize that, my heart bears witness to that. My will then wants to work with that because it realizes that's the truth that I thought and I knew and I understood. And then my feet start to walk that way. So the joy of the Lord is in the same way. The reason why sometimes we find ourselves in a hard situation, I'm going to be blunt. And I know some people have got tomatoes that they're hiding under to throw at me, but I'm going to be blunt here. That number one, the reason why, one of the reasons why we find ourselves as evangelicals in a place where we have, our joy is sucked away, where we've been thinking in this way that, you know, that things, things that are happening out there are more important. It's because one of the things is that as evangelicals, largely, not all of us, but largely as evangelicals, including myself, sometimes we do not think. You talk to an evangelical about an issue. They will tell you, yeah, um, I hear that. And then you realize, okay, they don't know the issue. They don't know the real issue. But they know the heroes in the issue. Then they start to say, if you speak to more evangelicals, you realize, then we start saying, oh, yeah, if... I like that Alex. If Alex thinks that way, then yeah, I think I will believe that. But have we taken time to look at it ourselves and examine it and compare it to this? Because sometimes we hear the past things, the past things that our politicians tell us and other people tell us, and we take them quickly. We don't sit and think and look at this and compare it. We want to hear what some other person's opinion is, and then we go with it. That's the reason why our joy is sapped away. When we take the issues that we hear, think about them, take the word of God and compare them, then we would know what we're talking about. Not only that, but then as well, then we would know how to sort that issue out. But as believers, we don't. And that's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. True worship, when we worship God in truth, true worship engages our mind. It is rational. It steers the heart. It is visceral. And it challenges the will. It is volitional. That's true worship. When we understand what is right and good, we commit our will to accomplish that which is right and good. And then we are molded to do the right thing and the good thing. Our feelings and emotions are not, dis- are not, dis- are not divorced from our thinking. It's put together. But they are supposed to be constrained and guided and formed by what God has revealed to us. Look at Habakkuk. I know, I say that Habakkuk. 
I know you guys don't like it when I say Habakkuk. What do you say, Alex? I say Habakkuk. What do you say? Uh huh. No, that's the wrong way of saying it. <laughs> the book of Habakkuk, we meet this man here. I want to show you the example of this. It's in, the, it's in Habakkuk, chapter 3. He says, listen to this. I heard and my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound. And the decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. He, is, he says, I had these horrible things. And all these things attacked me. All these things attacked my body. But then he goes on. I want you to listen to what he says. Then he makes a decision. He has had it. But then he knows this. And he compares that with what he has had. And then he says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and though the fields produce no food, and though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord my Savior, and I will be joyful. Despite all these things, I see the external things, but they don't affect my joy. He sees the experience around him, but he says, I will, I choose, I will to rejoice in the Lord. Because I know that he's in control. Our trademark as believers is gentleness. He says, let your gentleness be known all men. to all men. The Lord is at hand. Paul speaks of gentleness here. He speaks some, uh, the word that's uh, put as gentleness there speaks of patience, speaks of softness, speaks of patient mind, of modesty, of forbearing spirit, and all these kind of things. It speaks on, uh, on moderation. It speaks on so many things. But then I want you to see this, the joyfulness and the gentleness, and being together and standing fast in the Lord with all things sorted, they all go together. Joyful people are gentle people. As much as joyful people, remember we say they're not people who love to fight with one another, but also they are gentle people. Joyful people are people who, who know how to, how to live well together. But crabby people are not gentle people. People who've got no joy are not gentle. They're argumentative. And the argumentative people are not gentle people at all. So I want you to see that and understand that we are called to be gentle with one another. And we are gentle because we know that the Lord is near. Therefore, because the Lord is near, let your gentleness be known to all men. We show this gentleness to all men, not some that we like and the others we don't like. To all men. To all people. This is our witness. Our witness is in the gentleness that we need to show. And we show gentleness because we know that Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he's going to set all things right. It's not our place to set things right. Jesus is coming. He will. That's his job. Even if we try, we cannot, because we are not called to do that. Jesus, when Jesus comes, he'll circle this. This world might be falling apart, but when Jesus comes, he'll settle this. 
And therefore, the life of gentleness and joy is a life of trusting God. When we walk in gentleness and joy, we trust God. I'm going to move in. I'm moving very quickly. I'm sorry. Again. A vibrant life of prayer is another thing. That's another trademark as well for us as believers that Paul speaks about here. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be known to God. He calls us not to be anxious for nothing. It's a command. It's not an option. He says, be anxious for nothing. He says, he doesn't say, if you want to, you can be anxious for nothing. He says, be anxious for nothing. Sometimes we take this undue care on ourselves of things that don't really our problem, but we take this. We worry about this. And we take this undue care, which is actually intruding into God's space. As a father in my home, I don't expect my kids to be worried about what are we going to eat tomorrow. I don't expect Henley to be worried, what am I going to dress tomorrow? That's my job and Jen's job. That's our job as parents. And if our kids intrude into that, it's not going to help them in any way. And so if we find ourselves, we call God our father, but we find ourselves stepping into that. We are the father. We are in charge. We know what needs to be done. And, though, and so what happens is that this undue care suffocates us and chokes us, and we get into anxiety. And Paul says here, be anxious for nothing. And Paul tells us again that the antidote to that suffocating anxiety is prayer and thanksgiving. You know, when you're in an airplane, they tell you yeah, the, the mask is going to come down and you put it on yourself and then you can help your neighbor if needs be and all that and all that. And because they don't want you to suffocate from, letting, from not being able to breathe. And for us as believers, our way of taking out that suffocating anxiety is prayer with supplication and thanksgiving. And I encourage you to put on your own mask of prayer, thanksgiving, and supplication before you can help somebody else. Start with yourself. I should start with myself. Because if I suffocate, I'm not able to help my wife or my kids and the other way around. So we are called to use that. That in that prayer, in everything by prayer and supplication, making our requests known to God and thanksgiving. Sorry, I know I'm going through, pass through many things here. I don't think um, I've got time to speak about them. We, we are called to make our requests known to God. And sometimes, not sometimes, actually the scripture tells us that we do not have because we do not ask. I don't know if we have meant, there's something in the evangelical church that drives me nuts. <laughs> Is that we we have limited God to the idea of, I want to be humble, so I'm not going to ask for healing if I need it. Ask, that's what he says. And he will give what he sees right. My daughter should not think, oh, I should not ask dad for an apple, although I want an apple, but maybe say to him, oh, I would love to see an apple. No, ask. And if dad does not have an apple, he's going to give you an orange or whatever he needs to give you. 
But we, we have this thing of running around asking God, and we think that's humility. He says, ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Yes, I know it goes on to say as well that you ask with certain motives that make you not to receive it. But still, he's asking us to ask. Why are we limiting God? That is why we get into this anxiety. That is why we are anxious. That is why we, we hold on to because we do not ask him. He is waiting for us to ask. And then he says, uh, make your request known. Then he says, with thanksgiving, I'm going to end here. Thanksgiving guards us against whining and complaining. People who are thankful in heart are not anxious for anything. People who are thankful in heart are not grumpy and, and complaining and doing all those things. No, they are not. They are thankful. They are not paralyzed by, by, by anxiety. They are people who are thankful. So I want to encourage us today. few things to remember. Number one. If you didn't hear anything today, there are a few things that I want you to take home. Number one is that we are called to stand fast on Jesus. There is no other place we can stand on. He is the solid foundation. He is the solid rock on which we stand. All other places, all other things are sinking sand. Number two, he has called us to fix things where things are not fixed with one another. Our relationship with one another is very important. Yes, there is this relationship, stand fast in him, but also there is this relationship that makes the cross with one another. And then number three, walk in the joy of the Lord. Not your own manufactured joy, but the joy of the Lord. When you understand that he has the whole world in his hand, when you know that he is in control. Sometimes we think that Washington or somebody else is in control. No, they are not. He is in control. And when we know that he is in control, we walk in joy. Because we walk in trust in him. We trust that he knows what he is doing. And then the last thing is ask. Ask him. Pray. It says pray always. Be in an attitude of prayer all the time. And I'm going to encourage us today as we go. That if you hadn't heard anything else, those four things should be things that you go home with today. I will ask us to stand and sing on Christ the solid rock I stand. And as I sing this, I'm asking that we sing it, realizing and asking the Lord, where am I standing? Am I standing on Christ the solid rock or am I standing on other things? And if I am, Lord, move me to the place where I need to be standing. Move me to the place where I need to be standing.